The Life and Stories of Callum Knightworthy, Archival Assistant at the Magnus Institute, London. Begin recording. <sighs> Continuation of the statement of Tyler Heron Gardner regarding a relationship with a woman which he believes to have ruined his life. Original statement recorded on November 11, 2004. Statement committed to tape by Callum Knightworthy, Archival Assistant at the Magnus Institute, London. Statement continues. I got up and looked again at the window box, only to see no flower. I did, however, notice the face of Olivia staring down at me. Considering I had been hallucinating somehow, I can't explain when or why she was staring at me, but in a few seconds, she'd opened the door to come out and check on me. I don't remember her saying a word, but before I knew it, I was in her house, in her room. Everything felt like a fever dream, and I loved every second of it. If I knew what time it was when I got there, I, I could tell you how long Olivia and I spent together. But all I know is I didn't leave that room until around two in the afternoon, and I don't regret anything. Okay, Jesus fucking Christ. I have never, ever in all my many months in this archive, read something so callously disgusting and misogynistic and revolting in my life. I do not know how Gertrude allowed this to pass through the archive unseen, but Jesus fucking Christ. I want to punch him. I want to punch him, but you can't exactly punch someone who's missing, can you? I swear the man gave it to me because he didn't want to read it. Jesus. Okay. <sighs> Statement continues. I left a few minutes later and I had a hard time figuring out where I was. So I didn't end up back home for another two or three hours. Natalia was at my door and she looked pissed. She said she'd been calling for hours, wondering where I was and why on earth she'd been woken up at four in the morning and why I hung up so fast. Apparently she hadn't used the extra time to shower, so I noticed she smelled disgusting. I left a few minutes later, but I had a hard time figuring out where I was, so I didn't go back home for another two or three hours. Natalia was at my door and she looked pissed. She said she'd been calling for hours, wondering where I was, why on earth she had been woken up at four in the morning and why I hung up so fast. Apparently, she hadn't used the extra time to shower, as I noticed she smelled disgusting. She smelled like roadkill, but not the kind that's basically leather wrapped on old bones. No, she smelled like fresh roadkill, the kind that still has blood, the kind that animals still eat, the kind that is just on the verge of being rotten. My train of thought was derailed when I heard a shout right in front of me. Natalia was furious, accusing me of not even trying to listen to her. Admittedly, I wasn't listening to her. Why would I want to? Why would I want to? I don't mean to remind you that listening to her voice may be putting my arm through a meat grinder sound like an enticing alternative way to spend my time, and I told her such. She looked shaken up and promptly stormed off. Strangely, she didn't even comment on what I said. Natalia would normally be livid if I commented on her behaviour, 
Ironically enough, it seemed like she wasn't listening to what I was saying. She looked like she had something else on her mind, but I couldn't be bothered to follow her and ask her if she heard me. I entered my flat and spent the rest of that day doing mindless tasks. All the while, the thought of Olivia, her sweet, fragrant smell, it encapsulated me. I got quite a rude awakening the next morning as I heard someone practically pounding my door in. I opened it to see Natalia's brother, Ron. He was red in the face with rage. He, he shouted furiously about something I couldn't bother myself to pay too much attention. His thick, cockney accent combined with his rage made him too incoherent to hold a conversation with and I was frankly fine with not paying too much attention. Ron is built like a wild bull and he has the intelligence and attention span of one as well. I did make out a few words, he said though. I heard something about Natalia calling him yesterday and how it was unforgivable and absolute scum and blah 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 whatever. All I know for sure is that after about ten minutes of unhinged raging, he made a vague threat about getting me back and stormed off. I yelled back a threat to call the cops if he ever showed up at my door again and went back to sleep. I didn't see or hear from him nor Natalia for a few weeks after that. But I did see a lot more of Olivia. Not just at bus stops, no, at cafes, at little shops, I even saw her pop by my office a few times. I don't know how she found out where I work, but I didn't care. Just happy to see her again. Oh well. It was at first. That scent was following her everywhere I saw her. And it eventually began to follow me in my own life. I enjoyed its presence initially, but after a week of constant exposure to it, I grew tired of it. I could smell it everywhere. The air in my flat was thick with it, and I began to grow nauseous from its presence. Two weeks in, I noticed a change in the smell. It began to shift to a more coppery scent, but not pure copper, though. The kind of coppery smell you get from a flesh wound. Only a few days after this shift in smell, I, it began to change again. This time, it began to grow sour like rotting eggs and spoiled steak, and I also began seeing Olivia more and more around this time, spending more time with her, experiencing her presence. Eventually, I woke up one day after the scent became too pungent for either the strongest of medications to keep you unconscious. At this point, I couldn't tell if I was hallucinating or if the scent was just driving me mad, but it, but I did come to the realization that if this became worse, I may not be able to breathe for much longer without puking my guts out. At that moment, I heard my phone ring, and I answered, and heard Olivia's sweet voice on the other end. She asked if I'd like to come over to her place, and... Wanting laughing more than to leave my horrid smelling flat, I accepted her offer. The smell didn't wane one bit when I drove to her house. While I remember at one point in the drive, it occurred to me that I never took the same... Fuck. Never took the time to memorize her address.
nor was I over often enough for the route to become second-hand. Olivia herself never even told me, so I'm not sure how I always remembered which turns to take and what roads to drive down to get to her home as quickly as possible. I also realised that this is the first time I could remember Olivia inviting me over rather than me just showing up at her house. In any case, I arrived at my beloved Olivia's house. Upon stepping out of my car, I became hit with an overwhelming mixture of scents, among which I could taste the scent that, had been, that I had once been enraptured by. I looked around frantically, trying to find where it was coming from. I don't know how I didn't realise it sooner. It was right there, in the window box. As beautiful as an entrancing it was, repulsive and horrifying. This time I made sure I didn't stare too long. As much as I wanted to keep staring and maybe see where it went when it disappeared, the rest of my mind wretched at the thought of even sparing a glance at the disgusting beauty in that window box. The blossom of skin was no longer simply a blossom. It had grown thick, curling vines that had overtaken that window box and was spreading to the surrounding wall. I saw blossoms opening up all over the spinning, coiling mess of vines, and amidst them I saw something I can only describe as odd. Small, round, bulbous sacks hung from the various points amidst the vines. I couldn't see them all too well, but given their size, they appeared to resemble the vague shape of a human heart. Or at least that's what I think they were shaped like. I didn't eat them, I'm not stupid. I barely, barely even looked at them. Even if I were hungry, I wouldn't have considered eating from that strange mess of a plant, not mentioning the smell. Simply wanting to escape the horrid air around me, I figured the best course of action would be entering Olivia's house. I planned to explain myself later, unless she didn't bother her asking. Thankfully, she didn't keep her door locked, so forced entry was not required, but... The air in her house. If I described the air outside as noxious, I can only describe the air inside of her house as if it were made specifically for me to breathe. It was intoxicating as... I took as much of it into my lungs as I physically could. I began walking around her house and eventually found myself in her kitchen. I'd never actually been in there before, but it seemed pleasant enough. I couldn't actually describe most of her kitchen to you, though. My memory of what happened is so strangely hazy. I know it was in there. Whatever happened to my sweet Olivia occurred. I know that it was in that room that Olivia died. I know I saw her standing there in front of her oven, and I remember a pot on the stove. I remember a man whom I'd never seen before. I remember the fruit. I know I didn't eat it. I know I spat that boiled mush out before Olivia's corpse would force me to swallow it. It tasted like everything beautiful in the world was left alone in the rain until it rotted. Words fail me after everything 
everything after I left Olivia's house. I remember in horrid detail. I didn't leave her house. I woke up in my car, somehow driving down the street. I couldn't tell you where I was intending to go, but it's not like that matters when you wake up at the wheel of a moving car that's about to tr crash into a telephone pole. Thankfully, the damage was minimal. I can't say the same for the rest of my life. Uh, I got home very late. I smelled nothing. I tasted nothing. I heard nothing. I just wanted to go to sleep. I got a call instead. It was Natalia. I know it was Natalia on the phone. It listed her number as the one calling, but when I picked up the phone, I heard Olivia's voice. It sounded odd. The only thing I can think of to describe it is compressed, or like a really poor radio signal. The thing that really gets me, though, is what she was saying. She listed an address I checked, and the address was for the same place in Walthamstow. some place. I'm not going there. I'm not going there ever. I felt as though something really bad would happen if I did. Something even worse than what's been plaguing me now. I got rid of my phone a few months ago. I couldn't sleep with the constant calls and demands for me to go to that address. My dreams have already been filled with vines and skin. I once had a man in my office mention an Olivia. Though he didn't work with anyone by that name. He described her how I did, but right after right after that he called her Frank Rivers. It made no sense he he didn't stop talking. But I know that it was in the same sentence that he mentioned and described Olivia, he also called her by that name. He called her by the name of one of our male co-workers. I'd been hearing more and more people mistakenly call her other people. You even did it without realising, actually. You called one of your sisters, Olivia, an assistant I remember, someone else calling Sarah Carpenter. Keep an eye on her. I've learned that, so, that the people who've been referred to by Olivia's name have been troublesome. Nothing feels right to me. Every day, I keep thinking back to that bus stop. I don't even remember if it's still there. If it was, you... If it ever was. You don't understand. I know you don't. My life has been ruined in a way you'll never understand. I don't care that Natalia left me. I don't care... I've never actually seen Olivia since she died. I don't care about any of that. What I do care about, though, is that that strange plant has been growing up the side of my flat building. My flat smells fine, but that plant's stench invades my bedroom every night, and I can only smell it getting closer. No one else seems to sm see or smell it, though. I'd call an exterminator, but my landlord refused to let me call an exterminator when there's no plant on the south wall of the building. 
Especially not one that smells as badly as you say it does. I know that plant wants me to eat its fruit. I know it wants me to. Olivia spent all that time growing it. Part of me doesn't want her work to go to waste. The rest of me knows that if I don't let her work go to waste, I'll be the one who continues it. Statement ends. I've obviously gotten around to recording the latter part of Mr. Heron Gardner's statement. Research that has been done into the disappearance of Mr. Heron Gardner himself has yielded as little as it did last time. If I were John, I probably would have written this all off as some sort of strange delusion fueled by paranoia, stress, and lack of sleep. But I'm not John, however, and the mere details of this man developing a relationship with a woman who never existed, only to then witness her death in her own home, concerns me. Further contact with Miss Natalia St. Giles has proved futile as she has nothing more to give us than she has already. I did decide to have Frank Rivers looked into, and apparently he had been fired from his position at New Queensland Pharmaceuticals, a now defunct pharmaceutical company that was well known for their research into antipsychotic medications and their failed experimentation with the field. Details on Mr. Rivers' firing were hard to come by, especially considering the age of this statement, but from a mixture of interviews with former members of the New Queensland Pharmaceuticals, as well as old news articles documenting her arrest, it seems that Mr. Rivers was implicated in a long-running theft and embezzlement scheme at New Queensland. Many of the workers considered Rivers to have played a bigger hand in the downfall of the company than many failed attempts at new antipsychotics. I've also done plenty of research into the kinds of plants, and I found nothing that even resembles the plant described by Mr. Heron Gardner on the wall of his flat building. Considering we haven't been able to find the flat building itself, it's been hard to find any examples of a plant described how he's described that one, let alone an actual sample. But I did manage to find old documentation in the history of various medicines, drugs, psychoactive chemicals, and the sources titled A Catalogue of Pharmaceutical and Recreational Medicines Through History by a pharmacologist, pharmacologist named Olivia Reed. At a few points in the section on recreational psychedelics, she described a long curling vine which grew fruit that acted as both a psycho psychoactive drug and an aphrodisiac. Sources in her work state that it also grew a flower which appeared as though it were made of skin and when touched it released something that smelled indescribable. She failed to mention both the origins of this plant and its discovery but she did state that it has apparently gone extinct. Doing some digging into Liver Wild herself yielded little more information. She graduated in 1956 from Oxford with a degree in pharmacology published this book in 1970 and passed away in 1976 due to what was described as an overdose. What she overdosed on is not stated, and whether she, whether the overdose was intentional or not is unknown. Olivia surprisingly did not ever resemble the Olivia 
described by Mr. Heron Garner, but there is one detail about Mrs. Reed that I find important. At some point between publishing her book and her death, Miss Reed had apparently gotten a tattoo. When and where she got it is unknown, but it is speculated to have been during a period of time when she was traveling the world to, to do further research on the history of medicinal and recreational drugs. The tattoo itself doesn't match any particular style, but that's not the important part. What's important is what the tattoo depicts. The tattoo, which ran from her left shoulder down her arm, is a simplistic eight-petal flower with a long, dark veins running down from behind it. The veins, the vines. On the vines, small bulbs were described, bulbs which had the vague shape of various animal hearts. They were described as though they could begin pumping at any second, spilling ink further down the side of her arm. What really gets me though is the description of the vines themselves. The vines were described as looking jagged, yet curling in on themselves. The lines getting smaller and smaller and yet never stopping. Miss Reed never commented on her strange tattoo or its properties during her final years of life. However, over time, she did begin discussing her declining sleep, as well as the presence of a sickly sweet smell which she compared to the fruit on edge of fermentation. Not much more can be made of this. And this is as far as I want to go with this statement. This one has gone on long enough. I need a fucking drink. End recording. Tell Not Read the Recording is a fan-made podcast based on the Magnus Archives by Rusty Quill. All opinions, ideas, and stories shared are that of my own and should not reflect the opinions of Rusty Quill LTD or their associates. This podcast is licensed under Creative Commons share-alike, non-commercial license. We're running low on statement ideas, so pop over to Gmail or wherever you email from and send us a statement. CalumNightworthy at gmail.com. We're always welcoming new scares. Thank you for listening, and face your fears. Goodbye. Today's episode of Come Night Weather Recording was written by D.G. Toti. This is part two of two of the carnal fruit. You can submit statements to our email at calmnightworthy at gmail.com. All statements submitted by fans and listeners will be included in the canon of Calm Nightworthy Recording. Calm Nightworthy Recording is licensed under Creative Commons non-commercial share-alike attribution 4.0 international license. And it is written and directed by the Winchester system. Thank you for listening. Face your fears. And let the statement begin.